Well, if you have your Bibles, let's look at uh, Daniel chapter 10 this morning. I've got a lot of uh, information to cover in a short period of time. But uh, we have uh, this and two more sermons uh, in the book of Daniel. And I appreciate Jeff and and Craig helping me as we've gone through this uh, series. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed this series. And, uh, and so we'll be wrapping up in two weeks. And uh, after we finish the book of Daniel... We're going to be uh, looking at the book of First Peter and looking forward to going through that together with you. So, if you have your Bibles, let's uh, read chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. And in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for a full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold, from uh, Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl and his face um, like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they, they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep, and my face to the ground. Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. And stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day you set your heart to understand and, and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is, ha- what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. Behold, one in the likeness of the children of man t- touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke to and said to him, who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, 
By reason of vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can, I, how can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. And there is none who contends by my side against these, except Michael, your prince. So in chapter 10, verse 1, uh, Daniel is disturbed about news that he has received. Um, This is the, the Bible says this is the third year of Cyrus the king. And uh, Cyrus is the king who allowed the Jews that had been in captivity, beginning with Babylon, now they were with Persia, they've allowed uh, the exiles, those who have been held in captivity for 70 years, uh, Craig shared about this last week, the first wave of those have gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And while they've been back in Jerusalem, they have uh, encountered great obstacle, and the work has stopped. And Daniel has received this word, and he is distraught. And he begins to pray. And he doesn't eat anything, and he's been praying for uh, 21 days. And uh, after 21 days, um, a supernatural being uh, comes on the scene. Now, it's interesting, as we look at this text... Is it one supernatural being, or is it two? Uh, Commentators are divided on this issue, and I want to propose to you this morning that I believe it's two uh, supernatural beings. The first supernatural being is the one who's across the river in verses 5 through 10. As Daniel describes this individual, he has a belt of fine gold. His, uh, His face shines like burl. Um, he has the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, and it goes on. And uh, you just can't help but think that this is the, uh, the, the, the a theophany of Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Christ, and this, this is the Christ that John envisions in the book of Revelation. Now, we're never given this individual's name. But the reason why I lean toward the fact that this is the pre-incarnate Christ is because in verses uh, 10 through uh, 14, uh, there's another supernatural being that's talking to Daniel. I think it's a different individual. And this individual had a hard time getting to Daniel. He's been detained for 21 days. You know, if it was the Lord Jesus Christ... If he, was, if he had encountered the prince of Persia, you know what? The G- Jesus Christ would, just get out of my way. Get out. You're, you're bugging me. And 
it would not be an obstacle, but for the angel, and we don't know the angel's name, it's most likely Gabriel that we see in chapters uh, 8 and 9. He's a messenger of the Lord. But this angel has been detained by the prince of Persia for 21 days. And the only way that he was able to escape the prince of Persia is because of the angel Michael who had to come and help out so that Gabriel or this angel, so the supernatural being, could get to Daniel and share with Daniel the vision that the Lord had for Daniel. Wow! Talk about drama! You know, when it comes to drama, the king of drama is our God. And uh, this is an incredible story. And I think that uh, Daniel in Scripture is kind of peeling back for us, just giving us a peek of what's happening in the invisible world. You know, we we see um, what's happening in the visible world and how the visible world is is structured and organized and and controlled by different people who have authority. Well, just as there's that authority in the visible world, guess what? There is that same kind of spiritual authority in the invisible world. And there is a divine presence who is battling against a demonic presence. And we see this in Daniel chapter 10. And so I want to, just for a moment, to just kind of give you a brief overview of of the supernatural, of the invisible, and what Scripture says about um, the the divine and the demonic that we cannot see. Um, In Deuteronomy chapter 32... Verses 8 and 9, and those verses are on the screen, I believe, if we can bring those up. This is what um, Moses says in chapter 32. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders. He fixed the borders. You know what? When it comes to people growth and ethnicities and regions of the world and countries, it's God who has fixed those borders. He goes on and says, uh, of the peoples, according to the number of the sons of God. Now, who are the sons of God? Some interpreters want to say that it's the children of Israel. But there's others who say, no, that this is, these are the angels. Uh, this is the invisible world. If you go to Job chapter 1, verse 6, uh, the, the angels, the, the, um, the divine angels as well, as well as the demonic angels were approaching the throne of God. You can read that in verse 6 of Job chapter 1. So there... They're um, distributed according to the number of the sons of God, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And so God is the one who has set up all these different regions and nations of the world, and he has appointed 
um, angels over these regions, and the the enemy, the devil, has appointed his own demonic powers over each of these areas. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19. Uh, Moses talks about the fact that these angels are not to be worshipped. Verse 19 says this, And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, referring to uh, the angels, you be drawn away and, and, and you be dr- drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Don't go there. Don't try to worship these things. God has set them there for a reason, but they're not gods. God has a plan for all of these. But it's God alone that is to be worshipped and feared. And then Isaiah chapter 24, verses 21 through 23, uh, these hosts of heaven, the, the demonic hosts, they're going to be punished at the end of time. On that day, the Bible says, the Lord will punish the host of heaven. In heaven and the kings of the earth, on the earth, they will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and and his glory will be before his elders." And so here we see this uh, invisible conflict that uh, cannot be seen uh, with the naked eye. It is spiritual, and it is very real. Just as real, if not more real, than what we experience physically, church. But we have a tendency of forgetting what's happening in the invisible world. And when it comes to conflict... uh, the, when we read conflict in the Old Testament, it is both physical and spiritual. And yet skeptics and antagonists get tripped up over what the Bible says when they read about wars in the Old Testament. You know, if God was really real, if He was a, truly a God of love, that then he wouldn't allow these wars to occur in our time and in previous time. And when you read the Old Testament, it can get pretty graphic. And why are these stories in the Old Testament? Because God is a divine warrior. And he will not tolerate sin. He will only be patient for only so long. And then his wrath is going to be poured out. And when we see God fighting battles, when battles are occurring in the Old Testament, it's because of the sinfulness of people. They are harming others. And God will not tolerate this. And it is God. God wants to make very clear to his people and to us. 
It is he who fights the battle. He told this to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 9 before they entered the promised land. Verses 4 through 6. The Bible says, And after the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, The Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. Don't think that, children of Israel. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of their land but on account of the wickedness of the nations. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when it comes to all these wars, church, God wants to get the credit. And he makes very clear about that. There were, there were some wars that uh, Israel was to, to fight, and God would say, you guys are too big. You guys are too strong. We need to weed some folks out of here. Because when it comes to your victory, I want to make sure that it is me who's going to get the credit for what has been accomplished here. God wants to get the credit for the victory. And so God would send his nation into Israel into battle against those who were sinful. But there were some times where God would use the enemies of Israel to bring conflict upon his people. And the reason why um, that conflict occurred is because of the rebellious heart of the children of Israel. They were not worshiping God. They were worshiping the idols of other nations. And so God would use the, the enemies of uh, the, the Israel's enemies to inflict his wrath upon his people. And that's what the context of Daniel, the book of Daniel, is all about. They were an idolatrous nation before Babylon came in and took over and carried them off into captivity. And they've been experiencing the consequences of those choices for 70 years, just as God had foretold before it ever happened. And then there's sometimes where God doesn't even use an enemy or his own people. He just takes it upon himself. Case in point, Sodom and Gomorrah. He just poured out his wrath upon those people who chose to ignore God's will and God's ways for their life. So this is a major theme of chapter 10. Spiritual conflict. And so it's not something I want to brush over this morning. I think there's, there's more that's going on in our world today that you need to be aware of. And the Bible says that uh, we need to put on the armor of God. We can't be afraid of it, but we need to know what it is, and we need to stand firm against it. And so that's where we're going in this passage of Scripture this, this morning. Um, 
because of Gabriel's detention, Daniel is conveying to us this morning that there is a cosmic battle that stands behind every human conflict. We see a lot of human conflict today, don't we? Everywhere. Everywhere we turn, we see conflict. Well, just as we see it physically, church, there is a spiritual battle going on behind it. A battle between the divine and the demonic. A battle between good and evil. We see that in the Old Testament. And then as we move to the New Testament, it goes from a physical battle, in a lot of ways, to a spiritual um, conflict. When we come to the New Testament, Israel isn't the same Israel that she was in the Old Testament. She is only a shell of who she used to be. She can't defend herself. She, uh, she is totally dependent upon Yahweh to care for them. They don't have a voice. They don't have a dog in the hunt. They are at the, uh, they are being oppressed by the Roman government. Okay, that, that, um, that iron empire that Daniel talks about in chapter 2. This is where Israel finds himself. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And when Jesus comes and, and um, throws himself into this conflict, it's not a physical conflict. It's a spiritual conflict. And he's going to do battle with the devil. And we can see that in the garden just before Jesus was uh, crucified. Peter wanted to defend Jesus. In fact, Peter took out his sword and chopped off a Roman soldier's ear. And Jesus had this to say in Matthew chapter 26, verses 52 through 54. He said, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But then how would, then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, it's not flesh and blood. It's not, a, it's not a physical battle that I'm, I'm encountering here, that I'm facing. I mean, if it were, I could call down 12 legions of angels. Do you know how much a legion is? A legion is 6,000 angels. If you go by Roman standards and a Roman ar- army, a legion and a Roman army was 6,000 troops. So Jesus may very well have been talking about 72,000 angels or more at his disposal that could just take care of this situation. But that's not what the scripture said was to happen. This was going to be a spiritual conflict, not a 
physical conflict. Jesus didn't need 12,000 angels. He could have done it with just one angel. Angels were really powerful in the Old Testament. There was one angel that caught, that killed 185,000 people in 2 Kings. And so Jesus had a great deal at his um, disposal, a lot of power, but no. He was going to do this spiritually. And you know what? Jesus def- defeated that slimeball Satan at his very best game. Death itself. Jesus took on the enemy. Jesus outfoxed the devil. You know, the devil thought he had this under control, but the devil had no clue as to what God was doing in the situation. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, Paul says this, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. None of this, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan himself was duped. Had he realized that it was going to be through Jesus' death and resurrection that he was that that God was going to get the victory, the Bible says Satan would have never have allowed that to happen. But he was blinded. He was unaware of God's plan of redemption. I don't understand that because of all that the Old Testament talks about of the coming Messiah, but. The eyes of Satan were blinded in this regard. You know what? When it comes to spiritual battles today, for those who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, the Bible says your eyes are blinded to the invisible as well. You cannot comprehend uh, the wisdom the spiritual things of God. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now your eyes don't have to stay blinded. If you choose to become hungry and thirsty for the things of God, I promise you, friend, the blinders are going to come off. But as long as you have a hard, hard heart and you have a rebellious heart towards the things of God, you cannot comprehend nor are you contemplating what's hap- happening uh, invisibly in this spiritual world. 
Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Yes, Satan was defeated at the cross. When Jesus conquered sin and death, we had the opportunity as God's creation, as God's people, to be forgiven of our sin. That victory has been taken care of. But there is a personal victory that needs to occur in every person's life. Yes, Jesus did that generally for everybody, but it doesn't apply to an individual's heart until they realize that they've had an, a rebellious heart against God. That their, their, their lives, they, they're spiritually they are enemies of God. And when they humble themselves and acknowledge their sin, their wickedness, their rebellious heart, and realize that Christ died for their sin, they experience that victory that Jesus provided at Calvary's cross. So yes, Satan has been defeated. And yet, Satan has not been annihilated yet. He's still loose in this world. The Bible says he is the prince and the ruler of this dark world. Satan still has authority. And he's trying to make everyone afraid of sin and death and darkness and control their spiritual their spiritual life their their hearts and their minds but as Christians you can have the victory if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ so yes in the new testament there is a spiritual conflict that's occurring Now, when it comes to Christians, I want to talk about the spiritual fight on three different fronts that you and I need to be aware of. Because as we see, watch these conflicts, see these conflicts in the, in the, in the, uh, in the news, and it's on a physical level, just understand that there is a spiritual conflict that's going on behind the scenes that is far more real than what you and I see physically. Three spiritual fights. The, fight, the spiritual fight on three different fronts. The first is human institutions. <clears throat> we see the battle here in Daniel chapter 10 between the divine and the demonic. We don't know the angel's name. We, we do know the, the demon. That's, he's the prince of Persia who has been assigned to... He's a demon who has been assigned to the Persian Empire. 
And after this angel and goes and fights and takes care of the prince of Persia, guess what comes on the scene after him? The prince of Greece. You know what Daniel is telling us? We don't arrive. There's always going to be a conflict until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And that will be the final and ultimate physical conflict. And then Jesus is going to set set up His kingdom for all eternity. But this first front we see is with the government. You know, the question is always asked, should should Christians get involved in politics? And I say to you, absolutely. You know why? Because God is involved in politics. God has assigned angels. He's he's he's, He's assigned the divine over nations, over people groups. And, the, and Satan himself has assigned his demons over nations as well. But God has deployed his angels over us. And there's an angel over the United States of America, and there is a prince of the USA from Satan's enemies himself over the United States of America. In church, we need to be aware of both. And believe it or not, you know what? The conflict is obvious. And we know who represents who. And if we'll just choose to step back and study the Word of God, it's it's easy to determine who is divine and who is demonic. And it's on our government, church. We've got an election coming up in 2020. We have a responsibility to vote our convictions, our values. And the choice isn't hard to make if we know the word of God. It's in our government. It's in our medical institutions. You know, medicine is remarkable. Modern medicine can do amazing things for good. You know what? There's an enemy who's behind behind the medical institution who's wanting to yield his evil influence through the abortion industry under the disguise of health care. We see it in modern medicine. No longer do we necessarily want to protect the most vulnerable in this country whether they be in the womb or outside the womb. Today's culture is no longer seeking the, the best interests for the most vulnerable. We see it in education. Education is remarkable. 
This nation, this world has been able to accomplish many things through education. And yet the enemy, Satan, has twisted it to capture the minds of the most vulnerable for his own purposes. And we see it. It's obvious what's happening in our schools today and what government leaders are deciding what our children need to learn. Beginning in kindergarten, this godlessness, this agenda of making sure that every minority group whether it be gays or lesbians or transgenders or whatever you want to call each other, that each minority group is protected and understood and given all the rights possible. And leaving the vast majority very vulnerable and unprotected. Now, I'm straying right now. But we... Education has an ungodly agenda. And the most vulnerable aren't being the most protected. There's a... There's a young girl right now who watched her mommy get beaten by her dad to a pulp. Her dad went to jail for it. She saw it all. Now, dad has gotten out of jail, and he wants to spend time with her daughter, with his daughter. Now, it has to be supervised visitation, but he's demanding that he spend time with his daughter, regardless of how his, his daughter feels about it. And in the supervised visits, you would think that the supervisor would have the best interests of the daughter at heart because she's afraid of spending time with her dad. And her feelings are being ignored. But the supervisor, she's concerned about how dad feels. And the dad deserves having time with his daughter. Our little ones are not being attracted, are not being protected anymore. There's a battle taking place in technology. Technology can be wonderful. But how the enemy can take the technology and twist it in ways that will capture our minds and make us prisoners of those devices or or that media. Last, I can go on and on with institutions, but the last institution that I want to touch on this morning is denominations and churches. You know, there is a spiritual battle that's taking place 
with denominations today. And it's taking place, church, in our denomination. There, there's a battle that's taking place that for most of the Southern Baptists, we're unaware of. But we have leaders of different institutions within our denomination who aren't seeing eye to eye. And some are embracing liberal ideology that if you look at the history of other mainline denominations who chose that path, it led to their demise. I could bring up a lot of subjects right now in regard to that, but uh, I'm going to leave that for another time. But it's a serious issue. And one subject that is at the, one of the subjects that is the center of debate right now is the role of women in the church. You know, we, we are complementarians. God has given us a uh, organizational chart that's pretty clear of where God is, where man is, where women is, and that doesn't mean that women are less than men. It's just the order that God has put things in. But there are some people in our denomination who are questioning that order. And at the center of debate right now is Beth Moore. There are some pastors who say, Beth Moore is a really good teacher, and I would have no problem whatsoever her preaching in my church, her teaching men. And this is a very hot topic, church. And if we don't know the Word of God, adhere to the Word of God, question Paul's words in 1 Timothy, well, did Paul really mean that? And then begin to head down another path? Church, that's a path of destruction. And I'm not saying that women are not... Women are vitally important in the local church. We need their presence. We need their voice. We need their opinions. We need their ideas. But women cannot be pastors of churches. Paul is clear that women are not to be teaching men. Men, Women cannot serve as elders. Scripture is clear about this. But that's that's just one subject of some several important subjects that's happening in our denomination, and it is going to come to a head next June in Orlando, Florida. And as a church, we need to be prayerful. We need to know what the Word of God says and where we need to be standing. But there is spiritual conflict taking place in every institution known to man. Just as we see the physical side, church, there is a spiritual side of good, 
fighting against evil. We need to wake up. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. You know, this is, a, this is an important passage of Scripture. Because, you know, when you come out and are opposed to people who are on the, same, on the other side, Sometimes these are godly people. We all believe the Bible, okay? Or we are now into a political election season. And we see um, uh, people who are running for different offices, and they sound, they sound so loving and compassionate and genuine. How can anybody oppose their ideas? And what they stand for. This is what Second Corinthians 11 says. Paul says this, And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. Now, Paul is addressing false teachers, okay? And Paul has been defending himself and his integrity, his ministry. He doesn't like to do that, but the the attack on the other side has been vicious. Verse 13, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And so the enemy, the demonic, can come across so loving, so caring. And if you oppose them, you're labeled a hater. You're labeled a divider. And if you don't know the truth and aren't willing to stand for the truth, you're going to cave every single time. So understand the battle in our institutions. There's a battle in evangelism. You know, evangelism replaces warfare in the New Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, the prevailing way of winning over somebody else was through weapons and strength. But in the New Testament, it's the great commission of the Bible. And so as you're sharing your faith with somebody else who doesn't know Jesus, who's an enemy of God, you can know that the, the, the claws of the enemy are in that person's mind that you're talking about, about Jesus and, and what Christ has done for them. There is a spiritual battle that's taking place when we share the gospel. And then the third front, uh, not only our institutions, but in evangelism, but the third front, and probably the most important front, is the new self versus the old self. There's a battle taking place within us. The old versus the new. Church, we need to be feeding the new. We need to be growing our faith. We need to be looking at ourselves and the log that is in our own eye before we begin to address the speck 
in somebody else's eye. And if we're not taking the word seriously and allowing the word, the gospel, the good news to do uh, a work in our heart and life, then these issues that I've talked about and how we need to stand against them, we're going to come across as very um, self-righteous, very prideful. We're going to sound like loud, clanging cymbals because the gospel hasn't done a work in our hearts. And I want you to know, as your pastor, I'm guilty of that. You know, I allow CNN and Fox News to spin me up in a lot of different ways emotionally. And when I allow that to be the, the diet of my spiritual life, it's no diet at all. And I'm dying on the inside. And you know how I come across? Rather callous, uncaring, impatient, unloving. I was even that way this week with someone. Because I get cultural fatigue. You know, I I get impatient with stupid people. I'm just being honest. I get impatient like that because I'm not spending time with him. I'm not understanding the spiritual conflict. I'm allowing the physical conflict to get the best of me. I'm not proud of that. And it's counterproductive to what God's called me to do. I need a hug. Oh, thank you, Mary. <laughs> thank you. We need a lot of those. Yes. Well, that's a first. <laughs> the church, Paul told us to put on the spiritual armor of God. We are in a battle. We don't have to fight this thing naked. If we fight this thing naked, we lose every single time. But if we put on the equipment the Holy Spirit has given us, we can stand firm. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mighty power. And in his mighty power. Verses 10 through 18. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And the devil is very deceptive, church. We need to know the truth. And we need to see how the enemy is working through various things to have his way. He's very deceptive. But if we know the truth, we can see these things. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, and it is here, church, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Two times the angel tells Daniel, In chapter 10, Daniel, don't be afraid. Don't let this news of what's happening happening to your people now, don't let this news of what's going to happen to your people future discourage you. Don't be afraid. God is on his throne. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 4 Four. Church, let's stand firm. It's more important than ever before. God has given us His Word. We have the ability to know the truth and to be confident about the truth. But we've got to be in the truth. Stop playing games with the devil. He is going to eat your lunch. Let's pray. Father, Daniel chapter 10 is more current than today's newspaper, than tomorrow's story. Thank you, God, that you haven't left us in the dark. Thank you, God, that you haven't left us in a place where we don't know what to anticipate. God, we know the fight that's before us. We see it physically, but we forget about it spiritually. There is a prince of the power of the air that wants to capture our mind and heart and drive us into oblivion. We can't do this on our own. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your word. Jesus, I know that you're praying for our faith. You're interceding for us right now. God, may you find faith in us. Because our faith is in you. It's not the amount of our faith. It's who our faith is in. And Jesus, there's nobody or nothing bigger than you. So, Jesus, we thank you for the struggle. Because the struggle, the conflict, drives us to you. 
and keep us with you. Christian, if you're here this morning, the enemy has gotten the best of you recently. Like he's gotten to me. It's not too late. He's still your living hope. Call out to him. God, you are our ancient of days. And just as you were Daniel's ancient of days, you are our ancient of days. And you have not changed. You're the same yesterday and today and forever. Thank you, God, for this promise and this hope. Encourage your people as we worship you now with this in this time of worship. If there's one who needs prayer, we're in the dining hall. We want to pray for you this morning.